this uh, podcast series on uh, the modern social justice movement or social justice theory um, or uh, probably very popularly known uh, the woke movement or wokeness. I began this whole uh, podcast series um, trying to begin with just summarizing the idea. Uh, what what What's the main idea of the modern social justice movement or wokeness? And then got into the calls to action. What are, what are um, you being asked to do in light of this, um, of the big ideas? Um, last episode started to respond to everything and really responding just from a a reasonable sense. Is this worldview, is this movement reasonable? Is it something you can reasonably embrace? And uh, is this worldview something you should embrace? Um, and this episode, what we're going to do is talk from a biblical perspective as a Christian. How should you be thinking about these things from a biblical perspective? Now, I've got um, a handful uh, and uh, a handful plus uh, points here. Uh, that we're going to work through uh, these things. It, kind of the best way to respond, I think, biblically was just try to take, try to basically make some main claims about how Christians should think about this worldview and uh, this movement. So I think I've got something like 13 points, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to try to kind of string it together in a coherent way. So uh, let's just get after it. Number one. Uh, Christians value and seek reasonable substantiation for ideas. So this goes along with why I did the previous podcast. Um, Christians should be reasonable people and seek reasonable substantiation for ideas. So as we begin to evaluate things, we do so reasonably. Christians can disagree uh, about the condition of uh, a society or sin in a society, but Christians should all agree that we, we should seek significant substantiation for significant claims. Uh, in writing his account of the life of Jesus, Luke begins by saying, quote, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those uh, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also." having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account. In other words, Luke begins his gospel uh, saying, I have investigated these things. Um, I have looked into the life and times of Jesus kind of in an investigative manner before I sat down and put pen to paper uh, to write this account of uh, who Jesus is and what he has done. Christianity is based on historical concrete fact and loads of eyewitness testimony and accounts, all of it uh, at the time could have been and surely was put to the test. Um, This is how the gospel spread in the very beginning, uh, as the disciples were, quote, prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, That's 1 Peter 3.15. And they were making a defense for the hope that was in them uh, with, quote, gentleness and respect. Again, that's 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, so Christianity and the, and the wild claims that it makes uh, were based on, uh, these claims were being made where they could be put to the test, where people could look into them and say, is this reasonable to believe in this, that, the, that this man named Jesus lived, died, and, um, and then we can't find his grave? We can't find his body? Is this reasonable? Um, people could put those things to the test and investigate them. 
and uh, and they did. And so Christians, Christians should value and seek reasonable substantiation for ideas. Now, at the heart of my issues with this worldview and how it is being embraced in the church is number two. It's right here. This gets to the heart of so much of what I see wrong with how the church is embracing the modern social justice movement. Number two, Christians distinguish between the law and the gospel with the gospel as the spearhead of the church's mission. The social justice theory movement is a movement solely of law or commands. It is solely about who we should be and how we should live. It is solely about doing good works and doing works of justice. Now, Christians proclaim God's law. The Bible includes God's law, his word of law, all about who we should be and how we should live and how we should love God and how we should love each other. But the unique spearhead of the church's mission is not the law, but the message of the gospel, the good news of great joy, of God's grace, and God's forgiveness for sinners. The spearhead of the church's mission and message is not the law. Um, The spearhead is the gospel in the midst of a sinful, fallen world, sinful, fallen communities, societies, cultures, cities, etc. So Matthew 28 Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The spearhead is proclaiming the message of the gospel for the forgiveness of sins, that people would be brought into the kingdom by grace alone and Christ alone. They'd be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they would be taught all that Jesus commanded us. The church brings to the world a uniquely Christian message about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sufficient grace of God. To call for societal reform, to condemn things as evil, is not uniquely Christian. It's not uniquely Christian. What is uniquely Christian is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his resurrection. When the church embraces the mission of the culture around it, such as the social justice theory mission and message, it either begins to mix the law into the gospel or just removes and compromises on the gospel entirely. And what I see happening mostly is the law and the gospel being mixed, where you you read comments in some of the leading books um, you, you, you hear things that maybe pastors are saying, and, and there seems to be this subtle mixing of the good news and the law where, where it, you start to wonder, is the good news my activism against a particular sin in society? Um, is that what the good news is? Is that what Christianity is all about? Is that the uniqueness of Christianity? Is that the spearhead of what the message of the Bible is all about? Is my activism against a particular evil in society outside of the church's walls? So what happened, what is happening, what what inevitably, inevitably will happen when this worldview is embraced by the church is the law and the gospel begin to mix and they begin to mingle and we no longer distinguish them. We no longer say, Listen, the law is what the law is, which is all about who we should be and how we should live. But the gospel is something different. Both are God's word to us in the Bible, but the gospel is not law. It is not a command. It is not advice. It is good news of what has been done for us. And we keep those things distinct in our message and in our mission. The spearhead mission and message of the church is the good news of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, with that being said, let me focus on some general agreements. I wanted to say that essentially right up front as the heart of why I would spend so much time talking about these things, reading about these things, because that is where I think on the ground in the church, things are getting really messy, to put it lightly. With that said, what are some kind of general agreements that we can have? Number three, Christians are to love all people as image bearers, regardless of skin color, culture, history, and the like. Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So all people are made in God's image and should be valued as such, loved as such. James 2, 1 my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't show partiality to people based on their skin color, based on their culture. Don't show partiality based on someone's income or wealth. Show no partiality. Treat all people as made in God's image, loved by God, valuable in God's image. Uh, again, some general agreement. Number four, Christians use the Bible uh, to shape their entire worldview and practice, including how they view social and political engagement. As this worldview isn't being embraced in the church, a common refrain is that that uh, Christians can be politically active and the Bible should shape how we are politically active. Um, I agree, the Bible should shape everything about our worldview and our practice, including social and political engagement. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, here's the key, equipped for every good work. So as we live life, the Bible is shaping how our, our whole worldview and how we live our practice um, our good works, uh, the Bible influences, shapes how we think about voting for a particular candidate in a particular year. Uh, the Bible, God's word is, we live by God's word. We live by God's word. Uh, again, some general uh, agreement here. Uh, number five, Christians should be least surprised by sin, sinful laws, sinful policies, and the like. When someone says there's a, a sinful system at play, Christians should go, yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense because Romans 3.12 says that all have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Yeah, that would make sense because Psalm 14 says, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. Yeah, that would make sense that there are sinful, evil policies, systems, structures at play. Because Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We we come into this world fallen, dead sinners, Ephesians uh, 2 says. And so, of course, the laws, policies, structures, systems we make are going to be at the very least tainted with sin in some form or fashion. So Christians should be least surprised by that idea, uh, at least generally. Now, let's talk about where we really start to differ and diverge. Number six, Christians define sin and justice according to the Bible. When we consider sin in society, when we consider justice, we do so according to God's word, according to what God says is sin and righteousness and justice and holiness and moral or immoral or good or evil. So while the social justice theory movement uses various standards to determine what is just, the Christian looks to God through his word to determine what is just. So, so the, the, the modern social justice movement is able to condemn racism but bless abortion simultaneously because it has a different standard of what is just, right, good, and evil 
than Christians do. Uh, Christians look to God in his word. They look to the Bible to say whatever the Bible says is just, that's what just is. Uh, That's why Christians also condemn racism, but also condemn something like abortion or gossip or sexual immorality or lying. Okay, number seven, Christians do not assume the presence of specific sins and reject the resulting abuse of doing so. Rather, Christians are to be charitable in interpretations of events, discourses, and the like in order to avoid slander and baseless accusation of sin. So just a second ago, I said Christians should be least surprised by sin and by sinful laws, policies, systems, and whatnot. However, number seven here, I'm saying Christians do that doesn't mean they assume the presence of specific sins. Just because I assume that that you are a sinner, because the Bible says everyone is a sinner, it doesn't mean that I I assume that you um, that you lie every day, right? Something that specific. So biblically, Christians base accusations of sin and injustice on evidence, especially the testimony of witnesses. So Proverbs eight eighteen seventeen. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. In other words, someone may state a case that that this uh, injustice happened, this sin, this evil is present, and they may seem right standing on their own, but the Bible's here encouraging cross-examination. Someone else comes and examines and asks questions and tries to really get to the truth, the objective truth, get to the bottom of things. And then suddenly, well, a different story may seem to actually be uh, true. Matthew 18, uh, scripture about how Christians are to deal with sin in the church, uh, says, first, deal privately with someone regarding their sin, and if they refuse to admit it, bring other witnesses and Christians along to continue to reason with someone about their sin, to try to help them see their sin that multiple other people see and have experienced. Um, In other words, Christians don't jump to conclusions, nor accuse people of specific sins without substantiation. That's the point. This worldview jumps to conclusions about specific sins uh, with specific people, all based on often vague general assumptions about that sin. This will continue to result in abuse of all kinds, including pastoral abuse when pastors and Christian leaders embrace this worldview. Number eight, in evaluating sin in society, Christians do not equate the condemnation of a sin in general with the condemnation of a particular event or incident. This is what I mean. Uh, I disagree that condemning racism necessarily means, for example, having the same opinion on a particular event or incident in society. We could take, as one of the most known, well-known incidents, we could take the George Floyd incident. Um, It is a highly tactical move for the social justice theory movement to demand you voice an opinion on something highly specific, often very complex, an incident you may know almost nothing about, uh, in order to prove that you condemn that sin in general. And so they say things like silence is violence. Um, But the reality is, Silence does not necessarily communicate a lack of compassion and concern. Silence on a specific event that may or may not include racism does not necessarily mean um, that someone doesn't condemn racism. To To condemn racism is one thing, but to formulate an opinion on something as complex as a police encounter based on a video sometimes less than one minute long with no context is entirely different, entirely different. Um, 
silence on such a matter may actually communicate compassion and concern for everyone involved because everyone is made in God's image. And we want to preserve and promote the truth about everyone. Um, we want to guard people's reputations until the evidence uh, proves otherwise. Um, silence on a specific incident may communicate a charitable view that a person ought to be treated as innocent until proven guilty. Uh, silence on a specific incident may communicate that there's no evidence of uh, this specific sin yet. It, it absolutely could be at play, but I just don't know. Uh, the practice of the social justice theory movement, the modern social justice uh, movement, to demand guilty verdicts apart from due process is not only slanderous, but, but revolutionary in nature. And for the church to step into the same stride to condemn people of racism without evidence, without substantiation, is to join a movement that's based on an assumption and, and ultimately based on the principle that might makes right. You know, if whoever's loud enough about proclaiming a guilty verdict of a specific sin, um, whoever can, can essentially grab the most power there, well, then, then they'll just be considered right. So to accuse someone of lacking compassion and concern because they haven't formulated an opinion on something highly specific that they know almost nothing about is really just tactical bullying. It's trying to get someone to say exactly what you want them to say, um, or it's ultimately a way to even silence them for the long run. Um, if proponents of this worldview applied this logic to themselves, they would often have, they would often have to conclude that their typical silence on something like abortion reveals a lack of compassion and concern for babies. I'm not willing to make that accusation against them, even when they're often silent. I'm not willing to say, well, their silence or their 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 unusual uh, uh, silence uh, must mean that they just don't care about babies. I'm not willing to make that accusation, and that's what I'm asking for in return, that just because you're silent or very slow to speak on a particular incident has, may have nothing to do with the fact that you absolutely condemn a, a, a sin in general. Number nine, ultimately Christians focus on the heart to produce cultural, cultural change. While Christians can and engage laws and policies, this worldview does so almost entirely at the expense of focusing on the role of the sinful heart and the role the sinful heart plays in the problem um, focused on. Uh the Bible is clear that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can look at Luke 6, 45. Uh, ultimately, a sinful law or policy or structure is traced back to sinful people creating those systems, laws, structures, policies. Uh, as C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, kind of talking about this, this idea of societal reform, um, he said, all, quote, all that thinking will be mere moonshine unless we realize that nothing but the courage and unselfishness of individuals is ever going to make any system work properly. You cannot make men good by law, and without good men, you cannot have a good society. In other words, even if laws and structures changed, uh, change, um, ultimately, only good men, good men and women, will ever maintain and sustain a good society. So while laws and policies can and should restrain sin, thank God they do, they will never be able to justify, sanctify, and glorify humanity. So I, I am pro-laws and policies and structures and systems that hold back and restrain sin 
and evil that is ever flowing from the fountain of sinful hearts. However, um, I know that only the gospel, only God working by the power of the gospel justifies people, brings them into the kingdom, forgives them of their sin, sanctifies them, changes their hearts to actually want just and holy laws and policies. And ultimately, it's only God working by the power of the gospel that will glorify uh, humanity, glorify people, glorify individuals, and ultimately Jesus will then establish the new heavens and the new earth. Number 10, while desiring societal change, Christians are not responsible to establish moral reform outside of the church and thus outside of faith in the gospel. This is what I mean. The church is not responsible to establish God's peace and God's justice among those set on living in rebellion against him, for how could the church do that? Israel could not make Babylon the kingdom of God. The Roman Christians were not commanded to sanctify Roman society. Uh, The social justice theory movement has only the world itself to trust in to bring about its utopic vision. The church, however, is to establish peace and justice within its body, dealing with with sin within itself. This is where things like excommunication and church discipline come into play. And it looks to the second coming of Jesus to establish God's peace and God's justice in perfection. Um, This does not mean that God's people, Christians, do not seek to love and do good to all. Far from it. Far from it. What it does mean is that the church is not responsible to establish the new heavens and the new earth before Jesus does so. We have a much more realistic vision of the plight of humanity, uh, the sinfulness of our own hearts, um, and and what it's going to take. And ultimately, what it, what it takes is Jesus coming back to establish the new heavens and the new earth. Now, let me pivot. I know we're flying right now, but let me pivot to consider... Um, just the whole concepts of race and skin color and diversity and multiculturalism. I think these are a couple points that that ultimately just need to be made. Uh, number 11, skin color does not equate to culture, personality, history, preferences, and the like. Multicultural and multi-skin color are not synonymous. Two people of different skin colors can share the exact same culture and history. Two people of different skin colors can share the exact same culture and history, and two people of the same skin color can have totally different backgrounds, totally different histories, totally different cultures. To pretend as though people of the same skin color all think alike and share the same history is like saying all people with blue eyes share the same past and culture. It is simply an affront to reason every time the church continues to communicate that one skin color communicates something about their past, their history, their culture. Um, Ironically, ironically, in an effort to fight against racism, many in the church are fighting to uphold racial categories. The same racial categories they they rightly say, these are social constructs. Race is, is something we made up. We, we agree uh, on that. We agree on that. Uh, but ironically, in an effort to fight against racism, many in the church are fighting to uphold racial categories and telling people, going even so far to say that we ought to make assumptions about people based on their skin color, which is the kind of thinking that's foundational to racism. Ironically, in an effort to celebrate the image of God in everyone, 
the church continues to stoop to the low level of social justice theory and boil people's identities down to the levels of melanin in their skin, or at least boil certain aspects of their identities down to the level of uh, the, the shade of their skin color, that, that we can know significant things about someone in their past, their culture, and who they are just based on their skin color. And it's simply not true. This is an area where I think, uh, on the one hand, um, the modern social justice movement would say, yes, we agree with that. And yet, on the other hand, so many things are said that are totally contradictory uh, to that. Uh, lastly, number 12, I guess I had 12 points. While Christians value all people and all cultures equally, nowhere in the Bible are local churches commanded to be multicultural. So Christians value all people as made in the image of God. And um, and and there, there are vast amounts of cultures and cultural norms that are wonderful and beautiful, um, but nowhere in the Bible are local churches commanded to be multicultural. For instance, local churches are not commanded to incorporate multiple languages, multiple musical sounds of various cultures, or to dress according to multi- multiple cultural norms. Uh, There's nothing uh, inherently valuable about incorporating multiple cultural norms, nor is there anything wrong with a church who, for instance, only sings in Ugandan style, or only speaks in Mandarin, or is only comprised of people with black skin color. Enormous complexities, enormous complexities arise um, and are often left totally unanswered with the call for local churches to be, quote, multicultural. Um, if local churches are to be multicultural, how does a church know when it is multicultural? How many skin colors must be present? What percentage of what skin color must be present? How many ethnicities must be present? And what percentage of what ethnicities must be present to qualify as to multicultural? Uh, Is a given local church in China made up of only Chinese believers failing to be multicultural? Um... How does a local church go about being multicultural? How does a church preach the Bible, sing, affirm the faith, pray in multicultural ways? What does a local church do when a city around it is comprised of only one culture? I don't think there's a single city on the planet that's probably comprised of only one culture. But um, but what happens when the city is, is, by and large, the vast majority, if not all of them, one culture? Um, And isn't nearly every local church already multicultural with people from vastly different different backgrounds, upbringings, norms, and the like? I mean, I'll speak for my own church. We are incredibly multicultural when you look at the makeup of our our church. We have people from all over the place, all sorts of uh, upbringings, all sorts of histories, all sorts of uh, various cultural norms, very multicultural. But, but predominantly white skin. Um, nowhere are local churches commanded to be multicultural. This does not mean Christians do not value all people as made in the image of God and, and consider all sorts of cultures and cultural norms as wonderful and great and, and beautiful. It's simply saying uh, that local churches are not commanded in the Bible to be multicultural, and there are, as I just listed in many of those questions, enormous complexities when that kind of command and standard is uh, being, um, uh, being upheld 
and called for. In the end, let's wrap this up. In the end, Christians should want to be reasonable. And a lot about this worldview is unreasonable. Um, it, it, it is a totally different way of reasoning about things in general. It's a totally different way of just thinking about things like truth and reason. Um, this worldview bases concrete claims on oftentimes vague assumptions and theories. And Christians should want to be reasonable when they consider a worldview and a way of thinking about things. In the end, Christians must love all people and do good to all. Christians desire societal reform. They're not surprised by great evil in society either. Um, But it's not uniquely Christian to call for moral reform. That's not uniquely Christian to call for moral reform in society, and therefore we cannot compromise the gospel. We cannot assume the gospel. We can't compromise the gospel. We can't leave the gospel behind. We can't mix the law into the gospel or the gospel into the law. Unique to Christianity is the message of the grace of God in Jesus. That, that, that message of the gospel is the, is the spearhead of the church's mission. It must always be. The gospel alone changes hearts. And thus the gospel alone changes societies. Um, And even still, we have a realistic view of of what the future holds. And what the future holds is evil and sin will remain until Christ comes back and deals with everything. Uh, In the end, Christians should condemn sin generally, but wait to level specific accusations until clearly proven. Therefore, Christians are slow to speak. they, They should be quick to listen. Um, They should be quick to protect the reputations of all people as all people are made in God's image. In the end, Christians do not reduce people to something as silly as the shade of their skin. While Christians can celebrate many cultures um, and celebrate that God saves people from all cultures, and and while Christians can celebrate and value uh, God's physical creation that includes things like skin color, eye color, hair color, hairstyles, height, weight, all these kinds of things. Um, Christians do not look at, should not look at local churches and base how multicultural they are based on skin color. Uh, and nor, generally, they, don't, they shouldn't hold churches to some vague standard of multiculturalism, a standard never set uh, by the Bible. So we can celebrate various cultures um, we, we should celebrate uh, the, the beauty in various cultures. We should celebrate the beauty in God's physical creation, our physical bodies. Um, but we don't, we don't uphold a standard of multiculturalism in local churches that the Bible doesn't have. And, and in the end, Christians do not embrace, should not embrace the very ideologies that lead to racist atrocities in the first place, like judging people based on their skin color. Christians must affirm the image of God in all people, doing good to all, loving all as God commands, while bringing the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, according to God's word alone, to his glory alone. And we bring this message of the good news of forgiveness to all people, to all nations, to all cultures. All right, y'all. I hope this was helpful.